Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan-crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. Welcome to The Broad Experience, the show about women, the workplace, and success. I'm Ashley Miltite. This time on the show, how much progress have women really made? We've got a few token big wig women at the top of companies. We've got more women on boards. But actually, what's happening below is really of great concern. And what can a sluggish corporate culture do about it? If you believe that having diversity at the top is actually a smart thing to pursue, then you have to look at the whole career path. And the career path is such that women just can't be bothered. They think the workplace that they're in is just so lousy that they leave. Coming up, box ticking versus real change and how paternity leave can lead to a better experience for women at work. I'm producing this episode of The Broad Experience in partnership with The Financial Times. I'm delighted about this because I've been a keen FT reader for years and long-time listeners will know I've already interviewed a couple of their journalists for the show. My first guest this week is the FT's Carola Hoyos. She's the paper's recruitment editor. She works on a lot of coverage of leadership and HR issues. She recently edited a special report on the status of women in the workplace. Carola is Austrian, but she grew up partly in the UK and then went to college in the US and spent years working there. She's covered a lot of different beats for the FT during the past 15 years or so in both New York and London. She's now based in London with her husband and three children. Before we spoke, we'd emailed about what to talk about. And Carola said, basically, let's talk about the fact that women are stuck. You say this is a dangerous moment when it comes to women's progress in the workplace, where momentum is flagging. But it's also quite an exciting moment, isn't it? Because ever since Sheryl Sandberg wrote the book, there's been so much focus on women's status at work. I think there has been. But I think the the reason I, I think momentum, at least in the workplace, is flagging here is that one out of personal experience and that we had a much harder time, for example, selling this report than we have previous reports. She means selling the FT's latest report on women in the workplace to advertisers, getting them to place their ads within the report. And some of the comments were, oh, my goodness, this is so last year's topic. And that was really shocking. But well beyond that is the fact that earlier this year, something that uh, the 30% Club, for example, and others had been campaigning for very strongly actually came to fruition. The last FTSE 100 all-male board became a mixed board. Now, it wasn't very mixed. It was Glencore and they added one woman and, and many of the boards will just still have a, a deep minority of women on them. But there was this kind of feeling of, oh, job done. But what is really interesting is that it's really not about the boards. You can put a token woman on the board and you will change absolutely nothing. But when you look at the data bit below that um, and the executive ranks, we're still 
pretty much stuck in the mud. So my concern is that we have these wonderful success stories. We also have, you know, individual success stories of more women who are heads of state. But again, below that in the ranks, in the parliamentary ranks, the data really hasn't moved. We've got a few token big wig women at the top of companies. We've got more women on boards. But actually, what's happening below is really of great concern. She says too many companies are just ticking boxes when it comes to women at work. They don't want to look at the deeper issues underlying why so few women progress beyond the middle ranks. She says as far as she can see, at least in Britain, the one thing that may prove her pessimism wrong is the fact that from next April, new parents will be able to share a 12-month period of parental leave. Right now, dads in the UK may get one or two weeks paternity leave. From next year, they'll have the option to take far more. Carla says this new leave situation could have a big impact on companies' biases during the hiring process. It's no longer going to be like, mm, do we hire this woman because you know she's childbearing age? That goes kind of out of the window as long as men embrace this. I mean, that is a really big if. Um, suddenly, you know, the hiring practices aren't going to be. I know it's illegal still to take these into things into consideration, but they are taken into consideration whether during promotion or during hiring. It's at some point going to be less of a consideration because as long as men do take this up and this will take a while, people are going to go, hmm, well, he's just as likely to, you know, go off on a parental leave as she is. And then eventually he is just as likely to go off and go to the soccer match of the kids as she is. And you begin to be able to redress that balance, which I actually think having married a feminist husband who is very successful in business and very dedicated to his job, but equally dedicated and in love with the idea of being the head of a household and the father of children. um, I think it's really liberating for the guys too. Um, And I think that's a generational thing as well. I, I know very few women who are kind of among my friends and 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 especially below 30 who marry a guy who expect a traditional marriage from them she's 40 and she and her husband don't have a traditional setup she's always worked full-time at the paper since she had kids except for one short period where she got fridays off and every time she said to her husband i can't do this the intense full-time reporter job and the intense full-time job at home he bolstered her confidence and he pulled his own weight but she says she can understand why so many women with the financial means do quit the workforce or go part-time when their children are young. You know, I held on through it, and it was brutal. My oldest is 10, my youngest is three and a half, and I many times walked away from the um, from the school playground thinking, why am I doing this? I am disheveled, I am tired, I am exhaust I mean I'm just exhausted it's just relentless and I and I watched the other mothers fall by the wayside and they were all incredibly accomplished women in their own right and I'd walk past them on run past them on the way to work maybe grab a a coffee to go in the same cafe that they were sitting in sipping their coffees and thinking what am I doing and then getting to work and going this is what I'm doing I absolutely 100% adore my job and the two best things I ever did was was be ruthless about the career I went into and just did what I wanted to do and was ruthless about who I married and and I know that's not very feminist but that's the best thing I you know if I had to advise a girl to do those the two decisions she has to make um and so I always left home to some, and I, it's a great privilege, too, to be able to do that to something I loved. 
She says working throughout the most rigorous years of childcare was worth it. She's now been promoted to a job she says really fits her life. And I wouldn't have gotten the job, not in a million years, had I gone to three days a week or had I taken a really extended time off. I did take my full year maternity leave each time. So that's three years off. So for American listeners, they're going to be like, hang on a second, you know. But other, other than that, I always came back full tilt and, and I spread my pregnancies. You know, I had a baby every, every three years. So I came back each time for kind of a full two years. But even having had that year off after each baby, she still thinks about her own upbringing, which was quite different. I had the most unbelievable stay-at-home mom, incredibly bright. And there are many, many things I don't give my children because I didn't stay at home. But there are many, many other things that I do give them by, you know, by being at work. I, you know, I flew a fighter jet um, not long ago while I was defence correspondent. And, and I did it for lots of different reasons. But in the back of my head, I hoped that I would um, gain some street cred with my kids. Of course, I didn't at all. But maybe once they're teenagers, I'll be able to flash the pictures in front of them and go, you know, I know you, you think I'm the stupidest person in the world. But, you know, <laughs> actually, <laughs> once in a while. But more than that, I mean, joking aside, more than that, what I'm showing them is that, that if they work hard and if they're absolutely relentless about and ruthless about making choices that, and sticking with it, just go and do the job you love. You just do not want to leave your family for a job you don't love. And, and realize how incredibly you're lucky, lucky you are for being allowed to do that because there are millions of millions of women who you know, work shift jobs because that's all they can do and they scrape by and it's very, very difficult. She knows she's incredibly fortunate. We're going to hear more from Carola a bit later in the show. Ever catch yourself eating the same flavourless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. One of the things that jumped out at me when I read the FT's Women in the Workplace report she edited was an article that brought up Norway and some of its policies on women and work. Now, when it comes to the kind of parental leave Carola was just talking about, Norway got there a long time ago, as my next guest can attest. My name is Kurt Rice, and I work as a professor at the University of Tromsø in the north of Norway. It's actually the northernmost university in the world. And I am the head of Norway's Committee on Gender Balance in Research. Kurt is a Minnesotan who ended up in the far north 25 years ago and never left. And just before I spoke to him, I'd heard the Norwegian Prime Minister Erna Solberg speak here in New York. She talked about the high number of Norwegian women in the workforce and the fact that the country's generous parental leave was a big contributor to this. Now, Norwegian parents get 58 weeks of leave that they can share, and fathers have to take 10 weeks of that. And listen to how they view parental leave over there. Kurt and his wife have a son who's now 20. When he was born, Kurt knew he wanted to take a good chunk of leave. Well, I I was relatively new in Norway at that time, and uh, my son came along, and we got this incredible package, and we're going to decide who should take how much and I wanted to take quite a bit and ended up taking five or six months of 
the leave, but I was new in my job and I was unsure about how that would play itself out. So I went and talked to uh, the chair of my department and I asked him, you know, I've just started and I want to do this, um, but do you think it's going to be a minus for me career-wise? And he hardly batted an eye at that. He said, you know, I don't really think about this leave as being a right for the parents. I think of it as being a right for the child. It's the child's right to have uh, his daily life with his parents during the first year of life. I thought that was really um, almost a touching way to put it. And uh, so I went ahead and I took those several months of leave. And, and indeed, it didn't have a negative impact on my career. Like the Norwegian Prime Minister, he believes gender balance at home lends itself to gender balance at work, and that this shared parental leave contributes strongly to that. But here's the thing about Norway. Yes, they have all this leave and lots of female participation in the workforce, but there's still a pay gap between the sexes. And jobs in Norway still fall along very traditional lines. Women still teach, nurse and clean in huge numbers. There are fewer female doctors and lawyers in Norway than in the US or Britain, and fewer female CEOs. A quota system that came in in 2006 means Norwegian companies have to have at least 40% of each sex on their boards. But the number of women on boards has not done anything to influence the number of women in other positions of power. So it seems Norway may be in exactly the same boat as other countries when it comes to some of the social influences and some of the structural blocks that slow women down. In fact, Kurt's come across this at his own university. Years ago, he couldn't help noticing young faculty members had different experiences at work based on their sex. He became fascinated by some of the barriers he says his university had built into its system, such as... Well, um, in academia, for example, um, one of the most central aspects of career advancement is about self-promotion. We have to we have to promote ourselves all the time. We have to submit articles to journals. We have to apply for grants from research councils. We have to uh, take initiative ourselves to apply for promotions and things like that. And it seems that men and women approach the task of self-promotion differently. Uh, that uh, men tend to overestimate their uh, skills and women tend to underestimate their skills. And that plays itself out in those kinds of settings. So when you build career paths that depend on self-promotion, you're likely to uh, be building a system which is going to treat men and women differently given these cultural differences. Ten years ago, his university was a glaring example of the gap between men's and women's career success. Just 9% of the full professors there were female. That number began to edge up slowly. Then the university's board stepped in, and Kurt was put in charge of changing those numbers. The board wanted 30% of professors to be female within four years. He got to work. I initiated a project that I called the Promotion Project. And the Promotion Project focused on women at the next to highest level. We call that the associate professor level. And one thing that um, women themselves uh, said to me was that it seems like the guys are willing to apply before they're uh, quite 100% sure that they're, that they're there and we tend to be a little bit slower. And indeed, I looked at the numbers and I saw that the average age of women who, when they did apply, was much higher than it was for men. So I talked to them some about what kinds of things might be able to uh, give them that nudge and developed a project based on that. And one of the central 
aspects of the project was that we simulated the promotion process. So here's what happened. He and his colleagues identified 50 women across campus who were within a few years of being close to a point where they could expect to move into a top job. Then they trained them in the things they needed to do, assembling a portfolio of their work and various other things. And they asked outside assessors to assess all this stuff and then tell the women what they needed to do to be ready for full professorship. And there were many interesting things that happened there. For example, about 10% of the participants received feedback in that simulation that said, you know what, you're there. You already have this level of proficiency. You should go for the real application and you'll probably get it. And indeed they did and they all got it. But what was interesting was that every single one of those women said to me, I had no idea. I didn't realize that I was ready to apply. Again, not one of those women had suspected she was already good enough. Three years later, 80% of the participants in that project have been promoted to full professor. The result of that for my university is that now over 30% of our professors are women, and we went in a 10-year period from being the worst university in Norway to being the best university in Norway. So that's a pretty exciting thing for us, and it's, and it's created... A lot of people are very aware that we have made this investment. It's given us a lot of a lot of attention internationally as well. And uh, I think that what it shows is that engagement from the leadership of an institution uh, not only is crucial, but it actually can work. It actually can make a difference. It is possible to change this situation. And truth be told, it's not that hard. You just have to make a commitment to doing it. And Kurt says this wasn't about tokenism. These women were just as competent as their male counterparts, but in many cases, they were unwittingly holding themselves back. I asked about the men. Wasn't there simmering resentment from male faculty? Weren't they complaining about special treatment for the ladies? Turns out, not so much. So young male faculty would go to their department chairs and they'd say, hey, you know what, those women are getting the opportunity to have a a simulation of the promotion experience and to get this feedback and to make a career plan. I want that too. And their chairs would say, great, let's make that happen. So I think that gender equality work, it really is the work of making workplaces better for everyone. And I think that there were concrete examples illustrating that point that came up in this project. Instead of being jealous or angry, the men said, hey, I want to be part of that too. And then we tried to create the possibility for that to happen. Now, there weren't many men asking for assistance, but the ones who asked got it. Kurt says some people always say, oh, look, women just have to catch up. Just give them time, not special help. After all, they're the majority of university students these days. They'll be bosses in no time. But if you look at the United States, for example, and that hasn't happened. It's been a very long time since women have been in the majority in medical school. But what about deans of medical schools? What about uh, leadership positions in hospitals? That is still a man, a male-dominated uh, domain. Women aren't getting there. In academia in general, women uh, aren't getting to the top at the same rates as men, even though for a generation or more, They've been in the majority at the level of the undergraduates. And why is that? It's because they leave. So the idea that everybody is going to progress at the same rate is simply not true. If you think that diversity actually makes organizations better, which it 
research strongly suggests that it does. If you believe that having diversity at the top is actually a smart thing to pursue, then you have to look at the whole career path. And the career path is such that women just can't be bothered. They think the workplace that they're in, at universities especially, is just so lousy that they leave. Talking of men's attitudes, I spoke to Kurt during a busy week for women's equality. As I think you're probably aware, this week the actor, the Harry Potter film actor Emma Watson announced at the UN this He for She campaign, which is all about men supporting women's equal rights. Um, But why why do you think, even in the sort of privileged world of the white-collar workplace, that this talk of women's status and women's success is so often happening just among women? Right. Um, That is a great question. I think that we are progressing from a period in which our focus for equal rights was based on a sense of social justice. We're changing from a stage in which we talk about gender equality as being important because it's the right thing to do to a stage in which we talk about it as being important because it's the smart thing to do. And as we do that, more and more men become interested in this issue. I think that these arguments are still so new and the, the social justice arguments are so well entrenched that men haven't yet so many men haven't yet figured out the value that working on gender equality has to offer their organizations. Kurt says it's a matter of time, and he's optimistic. Carol Hoyos would also like to see more women making big decisions at companies, in part, she says, because male groupthink helped cause the financial crisis. One of the main reasons I want more women in leadership roles, or I would I would welcome that, is not because it would be fair to me or my daughters or, or, or it's the right thing to do. It's because I think that if you have a diversity of thought at the top in terms of those people making the rules, in terms of those making, people making the deals, you will have a better chance of not repeating the kind of mistakes we've all just lived through. And that diversity of thought does not have to come through a woman or through somebody who is from a certain ethnic minority, or even through somebody who is from the LGBT community. Um, That diversity of thought can come through nationality. And one of the things that really isn't talked about, but I think that is critically important, is a lot of diversity of thought comes obviously from diversity of experience and diversity of socioeconomic background. She says companies just aren't yet thinking deeply enough about these issues. When it comes to women's success at work, though, Carla also believes a lot of this stuff has to start at home. When I meet one of my three-and-a-half-year-old girl's girlfriends, I will not comment on her shoes. Just watch yourself and find out how often you actually comment on what, what a girl is wearing when you first see her. Oh, those are pretty shoes. And I notice that in, even in myself. And every time I'm about to say that, it's the only filter I have, in fact, um, I filter it and I say, what book are you reading at the moment? Oh, really? Harry McClary? He's my favorite as well. And, and I know, again, that sounds, oh, so well, you know, we should be talking about CEOs and we should be talking about government rules about these things. But actually, it is, I really think it is that kind of attitude. And, and my seven-year-old son hearing me say that and my seven-year-old son 
asking me what I'm doing and I'm saying I'm sending an email to my colleague. You know, it, it is those kind of things. It is it is us not calling girls bossy, even I, you know, even when they're being bossy. It is it is just putting on a filter once in a while. And raising feminist boys, I really, really, it's as much about raising feminist boys as it is raising strong girls. We're all about the mighty girl, but I'm all about the feminist boy. Carla Hoyos. You can receive a regular roundup of the articles Carla works on by joining the FT's Communities Forum. When you do that, you'll get a curated newsletter with coverage of women in the workplace delivered right to your inbox every month. You can go to the link under this episode at thebroadexperience.com to sign up. That's The Broad Experience for this time. I'll be posting notes and links related to today's show at thebroadexperience.com. If you have feedback, please get in touch. I welcome your comments on the site or on the show's Facebook page. Thanks again to April Leslie for helping me put this episode together. I'm Ashley Milne-Tite. Thanks for listening. Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan-crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. Hi, this is Craig Robinson from Ways to Win, and support for this podcast comes from Invesco QQQ, the official ETF of the NCAA. The future isn't scary, not realizing its potential, however, could be. Just like on the recruiting trail, I've seen potential come in many forms as a coach. Learn more at Invesco.com QQQ. Let's rethink possibility. Invesco Distributors, Inc.,